everybody. Welcome to Infinite Pulp Special Edition. Yay! We get into things real. We don't usually do this. This is our first special edition that we've done. Um, this is not what we were supposed to be talking about this week, but it's so important that Max and I felt like we had to stop our normally scheduled broadcast and get this to you. This is so, so important. <laughs> it is. Absolutely. We're actually recording this about four or five days prior to it posting, which is super rare for us. We usually record things three or four weeks prior to posting, but we just had to. We had to get into it. Um, introductions first, before we get started. My name is Aaron. I'm here all week. My name is Max. I am also usually a part of Infinity. Yes. And we also have joined us today um, somebody by the name of Joe and somebody by the name of Carol and Jeff <laughs> and Doc or Bhagavan. Bhagavan. Oh, my gosh. All these little, tiny, gigantic creatures as well. We're skipping right over what am I watching today because we all know that I'm watching Tiger King. And that's <laughs> what I want to talk about today because... One, I love big cats. They're one of my favorite things, specifically animals. Two, you just got to talk about it. I have to, I have to get some sort of – the story is so interesting. You just you got to get into it we a little bit. Not. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it already, hit pause, go watch it, or use this as a precursor to watching it because we're going to just barely scratch the surface in about an hour of kind of like our real big high-level thoughts because we're not going to be able to get into two – much of the nitty gritty with the amount of time we have, but we wanted to get get into it for you. So, Max, you want to set the stage a little bit? Give us a little bit what what Tiger King's all about. Yeah, absolutely. So, this is a docudrama series, a mini series that was um, published on Netflix about a week and a half, two weeks ago, um, and it has just skyrocketed to popularity. It's one of the most watched shows on Netflix over the past week, and it's fascinating. It spawned a number of memes already. It's changing culture, and it follows a a man who is truly larger than life and the care of his personal privately owned zoo in central Oklahoma and the dreams and the hopes and the enemies that he makes along the way. Um, it starts out just with uh, the death of his brother and it escalates into um, murder for hire and he runs for president and it's just surreal. It's the sort of thing that you would never expect to be real life that you would see in a movie and would say, there's no way that's possible. Um, but it is. And that's a big part of why we'd need to talk about it is because yeah. this is real. It's incredible. Like I, I started watching the documentary and I was just watching him like, you know what? This guy looks familiar. Definitely. I'd seen Doc Antle before 100 percent. Mm -hmm. I've seen that face and I've absolutely seen Joe Exotic before, but I couldn't quite pinpoint where it was. Mm -hmm. And it was that, and they even showed it in the, in the episode in the series. It was the part where John Oliver did the little, little expose on him, that short 30 second clip of making fun of him for running for president. And as soon as I hit that, I was like, oh yeah, now I know where this guy is from. I, I, <laughs> it's just so, uh, I don't know. So let me get just kind of your initial, just high level thoughts on, on what's going on here. I adore this show. This is wild and unbelievable. And this is, this is a group of people, um, big, big exotic animal owners who are clearly so incredibly passionate about what they mm -hmm. do. 
and they've dedicated themselves to it and they, they love it. And it's, it's a lifestyle almost. And so they have conversations with a number of different influential voices in that community and in that culture. And I think they do a pretty good job of painting everybody in shades of gray instead of black and white. They clearly mm-hmm. don't try to pick sides or choose favorites um, because they are literally all crazy. <laughs> Every single one of them is just off their rockers, bananas. And it's it's like watching a train wreck, you know, it's horrifying and you just can't look away. Well, yeah. And then like <clears throat> it's like watching a single train wreck and then you realize 30 seconds down the line, there is another set of tracks that has a train wreck that are going to collide together. And it's mm-hmm. going to be a train wreck on top of a train wreck. <laughs> and then there's a helicopter that comes in and says, it's just there's so many. It's just it gets crazier and crazier. Yeah. The escalation is unbelievable. Yeah, so if if you don't know the generalized story of it, there is this person, Joe Exotic, and the the other main kind of the person that's pitted against this other person is Carol Baskins. So Joe, like Max was saying, owns this privatized zoo in central Oklahoma. Carol owns what she calls a um, big cat sanctuary, and I did a little research on it. And her sanctuary that she has is actually. If if you look at what it's accredited by, it's it's accredited by most of the big names out there of being probably one of the actual better places for animals to live and exist, like yeah. for the big cats. And then she 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 gives them a place to spend their end of life, right? Like she yeah. she she recovers animals who are in their twilight years. No one else will take them, and if they aren't if they aren't sent to her property, they're going to be euthanized or killed. And, and, you know, they had to do it because I just one thing I do want to say about it because I don't want to let her off the hook at all because it's it gets crazy town there as well. But I do want to say to her just a little bit, her smallest enclosure, and I don't think this was properly showed in the documentary. I was doing some research on this is 1200 square feet yeah. is her smallest enclosure. And the biggest one is, I think she said, two acres. Mm-hmm. Um. If there is a place now, I don't what what she wants. I think we all can kind of agree on is is the ending of owning these animals inside of captivity like this, privatized like this. She um, she argues that it's exploitation, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think what the show's doing to her and what which, which is really interesting is, and this is kind of you know we we can kind of just let's just go down this path right now. Let's just talk about Carol right away. And kind of, kind of start there. Um, and this is the antagonist to Joe Exotic, uh, the the main character known as Tiger King. Right. Yep. So the show starts off with him on a call from prison, and it's insinuating. I think I can't remember if it's actually stated stated there or anything, but essentially Joe has been gone has been gone has gone to prison for um, hiring somebody to kill Carol, and. 17 other charges that had to do with tigers and animals and stuff, but they really captured him on the, the one to kill Carol and then got the tiger ones on after that. Um, but that's kind of the say. So just from the very beginning, you're like, wow, this person's going to jail because this feud has gotten so serious that this person wanted to hire somebody to kill this other person. Like, and it's weird when you look at it because from everything that I'm looking at on the back end, not if I was just to read about Carol and I wasn't actually to look at the documentary, I would think everything that she is doing is what she should be like. 
the, what what she's trying to do for the big cats and the animals, I think, is 100% good and full on. I think everything else that she gets wrapped up in is the part that's the, the juicy good bits of everything. Well, but it's also true that, like, providing this care is also like, you know, there's there's quality control and stuff that goes into that. And so essentially the reason this conflict exists is because Joe owns this zoo and Carol speaks out against privately owned big cats in particular. And that's what Joe is known for is his big cats. He's also got a couple of bears and some chimpanzees and other exotic animals. But Carol is actively speaking out against these practices and Joe takes it pretty personally because he yeah. is equally passionate about the animals. And so he starts speaking out against these places that claim to be um, pro animal rights because he says that they aren't always as clean or pretty as they pretend to be, that they're kind of dolled up. You know, it's like a, a wolf in sheep's clothing sort of situation um, where you think it looks nice and everything's happy, but the mm-hmm. animals are, aren't treated nearly as well. Um, and so he 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 draws attention to the fact that Carol is the wife of a, a multimillionaire, a self-made multimillionaire who vanished, just yeah. vanished. And, and so, you know, to try to defend himself and point out the questionability of this woman's acumen and credibility, he says, you know, this, this, this person made her husband disappear so she can get what she wants. She's going to get what she wants. Um, and he tries to depict her as somebody who is manipulative and sort of, um, I think he said, he calls her at one point evil, yeah. um, which is just fascinating. And it really gives you a sense of sort of their equal passion for what they do and for the care of these cats. Yeah. It's really amazing that, that two people that you would, it's, it's the, 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 the term of maybe the, the two sides of the same coin kind of thing, you know, like mm. they do have their passions are so similarly aligned that just the small miss and they're so passionate about it that just a small difference between what they believe is what's causing it's it's incredible, man. Mm-hmm. And getting to that point, I, I do want to I do want to touch on that. We might as well get into that juicy a bit first. So tell me. What do you think about Carol? Do you think she did uh, have anything to do with Don's disappearance? So I think it's equally likely that one of two things happened. Um, Cause this is a man who had millions of dollars. His, his personal friends and lawyers and things say that he was worth maybe um, maybe at the time of his death between five and $15 million uh, at the time of his disappearance. Mm-hmm. And Carol received all of it. Um, and there's some really questionable sort of circumstantial evidence around the, the, his disappearance because, first of all, she was the second woman in the situation. Like he was married with a kid and then he just felt like he couldn't be real or honest with people because he was making so much money that they always just saw his money. And he was having a really hard existential crisis night and actually saw Carol on the side of the road walking along sobbing because she was in an abusive relationship before getting with, together with Don and he invites her into the truck so they can drive around and talk. And obviously this is a sketchy, dangerous situation. So she refuses and he makes the lap of the block once more and says, well, please, you know, I really need someone to talk to right now. And she says, absolutely not. And he makes one more lap of the block. And when he pulls up again, he's got a pistol on the passenger seat. <laughs> yeah, just- and he says, you, you can hold this pistol on me the entire time we're driving 
but please get in and talk to me because I, I think we both need someone tonight. And this is where it gets kind of weird to me is that she does. Yeah. So this is the foundation of that relationship. Bear in mind. Um, and then and then he divorces his wife and, and she marries him. And um, like, I think a couple of years later, he vanishes. And well, uh, I think it was several years later, like 10 yeah. Yeah, yeah like they were together for a while. I think it was like 89, and he vanishes in 97, from my understanding. Maybe she, maybe they were together in the early 80s. I think it was like 82, 83 is when they met. Yeah, and they start developing a relationship. Like, they're they're doing their um, big cat rescue stuff to begin with. It starts then, and then moves on to, like, um, sort of a larger scale while he's still around. Because... You know, that it was something it was a shared passion for them. Um, but the reason it's it's questionable to me is because and what they talk about is the fact that he he was talking before he disappeared about needing to get out of the relationship mm-hmm. and asking for a divorce. Then he vanishes and Carol manages to get all of his finances transferred to her in her name. And she does all this paperwork herself. She files for all of this. The like. Like in the month before he vanishes. So I think one of two things happened. It's clear they were unhappy together at this point. Um, You know, relationships of passion like that often go sour because once the, you know, the mystique has worn off, (laughs) these people realize who they're with and they decide they want to move on. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think either she made him disappear. And the idea, right, with these big cats is that, you know, they can eat crunch through human bones very easily and so the disappearance could be either she fed him to the big cats in which case you know he you're never going to find anything because they would have eaten literally all of it and then the other option that i think is equally likely is that he took some of his money maybe even more money hidden away that nobody knew he had in an offshore account and disappeared himself yeah because that's a really easy way to not have to deal with the drama to 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 reinvent yourself like he wanted to do. So I think it's equally likely that he, he disappeared himself as it is that she made him disappear. Um, but either way, it's just a, a fascinating, yeah. fascinating tale. And yeah. it's so high profile and it was a big deal for a while and, and it's unsolved. And because of this docudrama series that the sheriff down there in, in Florida has actually reopened the case and is asking for leads on it. So it's just unbelievable to me. No, it absolutely is. And I fall into the camp of the latter, I think. I I would I more believe that he is just disappeared himself and he Mm -hmm. just saw this is his way out of it and kind of just got tired of all the bull that everybody else was doing around him. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna leave. I'm out. (laughs) I'm out. I can see that. And I think, but I think honestly, either one is just as likely as the other, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't think, I think Carol having a big impact on, on his disappearance also is very plausible. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing about this too, um, is that Carol tried to push Alzheimer's on Don and that's the reason for his disappearance. And 
which is really interesting to me because when, at least in the documentary, when you're looking at it and you're watching, everybody else except for Carol was saying, yeah, he just was seemed like he was sharp as he was ever. Mm-hmm. And like they had no other issues. And what was really interesting, too, is that so I, I went through and Carol has, which you should definitely do if you've not read or if you've watched the series already, go to her um, website and she has a 3000 word essay that it's like refutes all of the things that was talked to her about in the documentary. And it's still incredible because it's not even a, this is what the documentary got wrong about it. The whole thing was just a, this is what Joe said about me and it's wrong. And this is what this guy said about me. Like it had nothing really to do with like, like the people of the documentary. It was more about them. Like it was about what Joe was saying. Right. And she like, and it was super personal and, and there were references to her in the third person. Like, so she, like, clearly went through and had somebody look over this, but never took out and, like, changed things back to, like, writing things in her own <laughs> first person. Which is fascinating, too, because you they they signed on to do this docudrama, right? Yeah. Like, they agreed to do it. They knew that it was going to be different perspectives and that all these voices were going to be at the table. Um, and, you know, it's like – and the notion that this continues afterwards, it's like – it, it, it's just never ending. Like, it's just yeah. absolutely never ending. It's, it's, it's a merry-go-round, you know, and around and around we go. The, I was When I was watching it with somebody, I kept on asking them, like, these people are making these decisions to get interviewed this way. Mm-hmm. Like, when the interview, like, it's not like the documentary, like, most of the time when they're like, like, John, like, uh, Joe's first husband, or Joe's husband that they talk about here, um, he just does all of his interviews without a shirt. Every yeah, single one of them. I'm I'm not convinced that was his call though. I think producers have a lot of input into what's so? going on. Yes, absolutely I do. Absolutely I do. And and there because there's an interview near the end of the series. So Joe, um let's let's back up for a second and talk about Joe because we, we kind of skipped ahead on that and started yeah, painting and the picture. There's more Carol stuff about that three thousand word essay that and about do you Dom wrap that, that I kinda want to get into. Yeah, let's wrap that up first real quick. So from what I was reading in here is that um, this is from Carol. She would say that Dawn would go to Costa Rica once a month during her um, period because and that's where he would go have sex with other people down in Costa Rica. That's why he went by once himself a month. in a by plane. Himself. He was a pilot. So he had his pilot's license. He could right. supposedly he could fly on his own. Well, actually, his pilot license got revoked and he would fly on his own in a private plane anyway and right. just keep out of like you know, obvious airspace or whatever. Yeah. And, and so supposedly, <laughs> so there's a few things that, 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 that go along with this. Um, the, the thing about Joe's memory and dementia and Alzheimer and all Don's, of, not Don. Joe, I'm sorry, Don's yeah. all of that. When you're reading the piece on, on Carol's website that she just wrote, you, it's really interesting on there because she goes through and explains like in gross detail, specific dates and doctor's appointments, like things that you don't normally need to do to like tell people, you know, like it's just unnecessary extra information. Mm -hmm. And like, she goes into painstakingly details every single time she talks about Joe or Don's death. She talks about Don's death, like on this date, 
You know, like you don't disappearance. Need to add it. It's not necessarily depth, right? A disappearance on the stage, which is also important because that's what she said. That um, so this is this is this is in. I'm reading this word for word from the article. It says Donna told me about people going to Costa Rica and disappearing. Our Costa Rican attorney Roger Peterson said the Helicopter Brothers were the local versions of the mafia, and Don was loaning them money. Which is why I included disappearance as an event that would activate the power of attorney. So that's the excuse that she's giving to put that on the uh, the forms. Right. But these and these forms were all filed by her. Right. right. Which is why it's questionable is because she's the one who who basically created this this wording. And they interviewed their lawyer back in Florida. And the lawyer said that he had never seen that wording right. on on a will. Yeah, it's just one of those. And so she said as well, and this is kind of the last thing I'll touch about the Costa Rica thing, is that there were reports of seeing Don in Costa Rica after his disappearance, which is why she called um, the Florida office and said, you need to send people down there to check that out because I think people have seen Don around. Right. Which is really interesting as well. I, well, I don't know. It, and it's all it's all her word though, and that's right. I think something. It, it's a giant. This is why it's so fun to watch. Is it's a giant game of he said she said, where the he's and she's are these absolutely bonkers people mm-hmm. who are hyper passionate and like not right, <laughs> and they make stuff up and they're inconsistent in their communication and they regularly refute themselves in the way they present themselves. Yeah. Almost, almost within thirty minutes uh, on the show, and of course that's days difference um, in real life. But like, even Carol was like, "I wouldn't know how to make someone disappear." And then, like two episodes later in the show, she says, "Well, if you want to make someone disappear, you just rub sardine oil on them." And it's like, I thought you said you wouldn't know how. Yeah. And so you get this sort of like, what's really going on scenario that that just brings up it's it's fascinating and it's extremely suspicious and it's all fueled by conflict and frustration and and selfishness and rage and there's huge amounts of ego involved because all these people think they're right and think they're doing what's best for the mm-hmm. animals they love um and they just kind of get caught up almost in their own um their own legends mm-hmm. and so it's it's these it's these real life like mythological people like at war with each other, basically. Yeah. And it's, um, it's one of those things with, with Carol about Dawn's disappearance that she just, you know, she has an answer for everything that, you know, like it's one of those situations, like you have too many answers for everything that we're asking. In my opinion, there's just, there's something there that can always lead to something else and some reason for anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild. And yeah, but, but that's not like, that's, that's a, a one aspect of the nemesis of the main character. So let's, let's back up now and let's talk a little bit about Joe because yeah. Joe is really a tragic figure. Yeah. <laughs> in Have a you done lot any, of ways. Any research into Joe prior to, to about 2000, 2001? Yeah, absolutely. And like th- my the most kind of like not telling thing I would say, but definitely something that I found kind of fascinating was when um really tragic accident happened with his first husband. 
and when his first husband died. And Joe, that was, you see it kind of towards the end of the show. You see Joe talking about how he would never breed tigers and he would never do all these other kinds of things. And you get from doing a little research into it, kind of the after his first husband died was about 2001. And that's when Joe started breeding tigers. Like that's kind of when he fell off that edge and kind of went down that that path of, of doing th- those kind of things. But it's, yeah. it was a really tragic thing where his, his husband died with him in the car. Like, I don't know. It- so his, his whole life is really tragic. Um, his brother, his, his younger brother who he was very close with died in a tragic accident. Um, he attempted suicide at one point because he was a gay man in the South. And like, it's, it's, he he worked as a police chief in a small town in Texas for a couple of years. So he has like police experience under his belt. Um, and he so like his his passion for this, this zoo that he ran um, is born out of loss. Right. And it's this zoo sort of became his way of trying to like fill the hole in his heart, I think. And so when people started attacking him for it, you know, this was the thing he was really passionate about. He got defensive and he got really upset. And, you know, in in situations where your emotions are running high and, you know, you can't always trust yourself or the people around you, things get said that that can't be unsaid and, and you can't always be your best self. Um, but there was a there was a there was a sentence in maybe the second episode that really just kind of drove me nuts because in a good way because joe apparently and carol were like threatening each other with legal action and stuff before they ever actually took any Mm. and and joe at one point sent her he put snakes in in a cargo container and sent them to her (laughs) and so she she claims like they're interviewing her and she's like yeah i went i went to the mailbox and it exploded. The mailbox exploded with snakes. And just the fact that that was a real sentence that a yeah. human had said <laughs> was absolutely insane. Yeah, it's just that. And then um, his just, uh, I don't know, like. Trying to think of the right way to properly explain my feelings about Joe, because I just I, I, you know, it's he's the antithesis of wanting to watch something, even though, you know, it's like bad. I, I don't know. Does that make sense? Kind like, of. No, not really. Maybe that's the wrong way to put it. And I'm using the wrong words. Um, well, for me, for me, I really I really liked it because I think that all along there was kind of this. So you start out, they tease you at the beginning with the awareness that he he is in jail. He's yeah. gone to jail. And so you, you see, you know that he's going to screw up and you know that he's going to lose track, lose sight of himself and lose track of his ideals in this process. Um, but it's it's really fun to watch because he is so passionate and he's so well intended and he is so eager to like dig He's really a curious human. Mm-hmm. And so when when people present him with information, when people present him with behaviors, he doesn't take them at face value. And he ex- he explores and he talks to people and he gets, you know, information and he does his own research and he tries to figure out what's going on. Because trying to run a business in the exotic animal world is full of like 
not even morally gray, but legally gray areas. And so you really have to believe in yourself and what you're doing to to choose this career. And I think it kind of proved to be like a slippery slope for him because yeah, it, for sure. what happens is like he, he's got the zoo and it's going great. And then um, his his husband dies and then he marries again and uh, and then he marries again and into a thruple. And all this time he's creating music videos, by the way, which are some well, of the most magical things to come out of the show. There's a couple of things on that, too. Um, did you know that he married between his long term husband and then John that we see? And then that marriage in between there was super abusive and bad. He, that guy physically abused Joe and I think threatened to kill him and then was later convicted of killing somebody. No. So like that happens in between a long term relationship and then him getting together with John, who's the first husband we see. And so you're right. It's just kind of and I think that's where I'm at with him is just you just kind of see, you know, it's like each time he tries to do something, it's like, nope, we're not going to let you do this one either. And it just keeps on getting beaten down every single turn that he gets and he goes to. Even the music videos he does, which are I love those music videos. <laughs> <laughs> it's just unreal. These characters are larger than life, man. Like he's sitting there talking in the first episode about it. And you just cut away to this like really poor quality, obviously homemade, <laughs> yeah. but also equally passionate and 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 music video of him standing on the hood of a truck with lights on it and there's like a, a cgi thunderstorm that's been placed <laughs> yeah. in the background and it's unbelievable um i saw a tiger is the name of that music video you should absolutely check that out you should um and the the singing i was actually impressed was not too bad and he was not bad but then elizabeth my my partner um explained to me that a lot of that it was probably um What's it called when you use the voice modulator thing that T-Pain was known for? Auto-tune? Auto-tune, yeah. A lot of that is auto-tune. Well, a lot of that is um, not Joe singing at all. Joe didn't record almost all of his own songs. He lip-synced everything. It's a duo, country singing duo in Washington State that he would pay to, to sing the songs. And they didn't know that he was lip-syncing and making music videos to them until like a year after they started doing it for him. That's unbelievable. I, yeah. I just, that's so crazy. It's just another thing. It's just because I was sitting here like, well, wow, that's really cool. He's got a really pretty okay voice for like what you hear him talk. And then I like looked into it. I was like, oh yeah, okay. But then all the like, how can you get somebody to sing that? Like some of those ones that are so specific, like the one that he made about Carol, like. Mm -hmm. And it's money. I mean, it's money and passion, yeah. right? Like and people need money to, to do what they love. And that's, I think, a, a big part of recurring motif that you see in, in a lot of these people is, is the awareness that like they, they all have the scale of operations for exotic animal care and upkeep is massive oh yeah i think they said somewhere that like one adult tiger costs something like eight thousand dollars a year to feed i thought something they like said that. a month well but it, whatever it is it's it's on the order because joe has something like 180 tigers by the yeah, time he passes it's enormous. away which means that he's paying millions of dollars like 2.2 .2 million dollars a year just in food right so the scale of operations is huge there and then you talk about like 
you know, the legal fees that they all get caught up in and dealing with this stuff and the slander and the Joe runs his own YouTube channel, Joe Exotic TV. That's still up. We're actually oh, working it? our way through that right now. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's just these people who are like driven, these broken people who are driven by their love of these animals and doing what they think is right and the way that they they clash about it. And it's it just like and and there's obviously there's meth involved and like yeah. cartels are involved at one point down in Florida. And like it's just banana cakes, man. It's absolutely crazy. <laughs> The most shocking thing to me, I think, was when, um, and it doesn't, it's just like, and that's the thing, it doesn't surprise you at all. But when Jeff Lowe would wheel in baby cubs and in suitcases into hotel rooms in Las Vegas, yeah, and show them for like my gosh, it's just incredible. Like, yeah, and and that's that's the issue. Cub petting is really like at the center of mm-hmm. the the ethical treatment issues because these animals are so young that they shouldn't even be away from their mothers, right? These are animals that are being pulled away before they've been weaned um, to, to be put into the arms of people. And it's really seen by a lot of people in the animal world as abuse because mm-hmm. these, these are, these are infants, you know, they're formative age and they should be with their mother. And instead they're being yanked away and put into the arms of like, just like, you know, patrons basically um strangers and people people even that the zoo operators can't even trust necessarily right so um the cub petting is a big deal and jeff Lowe comes in at one point because um joe decides to engage in a legal battle with carol around yeah. some ep- effort of libel or slander or something um and and he runs out of money because you can't afford to operate a park and also drag yourself through the courts. And Carol could afford it because much of the donations that she receives at her nonprofit um, and all the work that she, her people do are all, is all volunteer-based. So she doesn't have to worry about like day-to-day operations. People all volunteer to do this stuff for her, which means that any donations that go to them can, can be used for stuff like the legal battles. Do you... Not to cut you off there for a second, too. Do you? Do you, I kind of like. That's one aspect of them where I do think the treatment of the animals is is varying based upon which park you're looking at. Um, well, but even based upon the camera shot. I mean, the, oh, the docudrama sure. is is not at all reliable in that way. And I think. Oh no. To really get a good understanding of what any of those locations is like, you would really have to go in person. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. No, one hundred percent. There is a shot in here that that shows, I think it's like a little bobcat in the small, tiny cage at Carol's. And it's literally just where they keep their water. The like actual like and it's so like the the people feeding them can like easily refill it and all that kind of stuff without having to get in the cage. Mm-hmm. And that's all they show, though. Even though, and that's what Carol was talking about earlier was, which I thought was interesting is because that is something that Joe picked out and showed, but the documentary I thought didn't, like they didn't show very many, but I think they did an okay job of showing that the animals at Carol's were were in a little bit better enclosures than they were at Joe's, um, for sure. Man, I had something there for a second. Oh, I guess this is kind of what I wanted to touch on, too. And if you need to finish something before we go, just let me know. But 
Are we changing topics? Kind of. So if you want to finish something now, it just had to do with Carol and the people that work. Because you said something about volunteers. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing that ties everybody together for me is that everybody is running some sort of, I don't want to say the word racket, but it kind of is where you're getting cheap labor mm-hmm. and they're allowing you to, these parks could not operate if you're paying somebody the ability to live. Yeah. And like that's Joe one of the provides most- housing for his people. And I think at one point they say they make like a hundred dollars a week. His yeah, employees it's like a, do. I think it's one fifty to like one seventy a week, something like that. It's horrible. It's, it's barely livable. And, and Doc Antle, which has this beautiful, magnificent, like looking location. We, we can don't please don't just call him Doc because that is such a, such a disservice to him. His name is Bhagavan, which is a term meaning Lord or one who is in the clouds. Mm-hmm. So this dude's name is literally Lord Antle. And if you look up what his PhD is in, it is in the mystical sciences. Okay. Right. This dude is a doctor of mystical science. Well, which which means that like when you call him doc, he's not like a veterinarian. This man is not like a medical doctor. Yeah. He's a PhD in mystical sciences. It's like. And he has a a harem. (laughs) No, I know. That's the weirdest part about it is like every single one of these places is very cult like, even Carol's. Like it's very much so that way. Yes. And, and, and they talk about that and the draw that these exotic animals have to people and like the willingness that you have to to kind of just give up and not give up. Uh, that's not really the right word, but give up on a different way of life. And like you are living those animals like that's all you're doing. When, when we were talking about Bhagavan's, the Myrtle, Be- the, uh, Myrtle Beach sites in South Carolina, mm-hmm. like I think he pays people 300, but mostly tries to hire young, attractive females and like indoctrinate them. Like, and, yes, like three of his three of his primary three of his primary people are all his wives. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he doesn't claim that because polygamy is against the law but well that yeah but it's so weird because like on the documentary he's like yep that's her house and that's her house and that's her house and they don't really like you don't really like mix them well together and they interview one of the young women who actually worked for him briefly and Mm -hmm. and the whole point bhagavan also is a large animal exotic animal caretaker like he rides he has an elephant that he rides around his property and stuff um but he he's mostly there as a kind of like control group right so you see the chaos and the conflict that exists between joe and carol and bhagavan is there to to kind of provide like a a third party perspective on both of them right while also helping us as viewers to see someone in this world who is not immediately attached to these to these elements of conflict yeah like this guy's still not doing the right thing but he's not involved in this conflict Right. But he's adjacent to it. Right. Because he buys tigers from Joe. And and that's kind of, I don't know. I would, I just want, I want to have something that peels back the un, like underground like tiger ring of, of selling all these baby cubs and tigers and, and ligers and all these different animals. Yeah. Um, and and ligers books. are like mules. I mean, they're, they're born sterile, right? Because they're the union of a lion and a tiger right. and, and they're not genetically, um, capable of reproducing so you get a liger and then it's sterile and they prone to lots of health problems and then they die and at one point bhagavan said like there they he someone behind the camera says is that a liger and he says well i i wouldn't call it that because it's illegal to have those 
Um, but this is not a tiger or a lion. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like yeah. uh, just the way that they like the way that people who break the law know how to break the law has always mm-hmm. been something that's really fascinating to me. Yeah, absolutely. The um, getting into the the breeding that looks like when I was doing some reading into it, that that Joe was like incredibly obsessed with having like, as you may imagine, the only version of this one thing mm-hmm. as, as, as much flair as Joe likes to have. And so like he would breed, try to like try to breed ligers on top of tigers and like all these different crazy combinations and try to get like it was weird. Mm-hmm. They got, he said he got like a Lai Liger and a Tyla Liger. Yeah. And one of the things that was fascinating for me and one of the things I loved about the show in general was just the way they paced it out. Like, yeah, I like that a lot. The, the content and the way that they, the way that they build suspense and, and build toward this climax is, is absolutely unbelievable. And the climax is that um, Joe eventually is investigated for um, attempting to hire someone to Myrtle Carroll and... They they try to get it. They try to get him. They plant someone, um, and they get one of his coworkers to try to one of the people who had come in to help sort of financially support him. They try to get that person to turn on him, and d- that person does. And then, um, at he they try to basically create a sting operation where they're going to get Joe for paying to have someone killed, and then they find out that he's already paid to have someone killed and so they use that instead and that's their sort of push forward but ultimately they wind up because um while the investigation is going on they they basically what it sounded like to me which was really disappointing um and and this is the whole thing is that they they're they're going after joe right it's very clear they're going after joe and they basically start digging through interviewing people he works with scaring them using a scare tactics. Like at one point, one guy says like, you can't be inter- in, you know, you can't be, uh, what is that? What's the word where you don't take sides? Um, jeez. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I anyway, do. Yeah. You, the way that, but apparently the federal agent tells this guy, like you're either with the government or you're with Joe. Right. Yeah. And basically yeah. scaring his colleagues and coworkers into, turning on him and providing testimony against him for fear of going to jail themselves. And just the notion that that's like how our legal system works is just really disappointing because they start scrounging together lots of other charges to try and to try and put him away for longer because the, the charges for the, the initial murder for hire um, were thin and the, the jury wasn't they weren't sure that they were going to get a jury to convict on that so they scraped together all these other incidental behaviors and and elements to his lifestyle that helped to sort of put drive the nails into the coffin for him um, but it was it sucked man like you you watch like five five hours of all these people who work with him and who sing his praises endlessly and love him and clearly love what they're doing and are really excited about it um and then they get scared into saying actually he's a terrible person and it's like that sucks (laughs) it really sucks it was really disappointing to me to watch it was heartbreaking yeah it it, that i was when i was going through that portion of it i felt very similar to that there's just a he he just never had a chance with the the system 
with the legal system at all. Um, I, I'm I am not personally convinced that he legitimately hired somebody to kill him. And well, it, no, but it, he did though. <laughs> he he gave he gave a dude three thousand dollars and said, "Go kill her." <laughs> Thankfully, the dude took it and went to a strip club in Alabama instead. Right, which was good. But I mean, this was a guy who was working for Joe at the time. And Joe had basically solicited him to kill someone. So, I mean, they did have they did have well, the charges. Right? Yes. I'm going to get a little conspiracy theory on you here for okay. a second. In some after research reading, there are claims out there that um, and this is well documented in the in the series of how much Joe, Jeff and this guy that and I unfortunately cannot remember his name. Alan, I think, is what his first name was. Correct. Um. That they did not get along well with each other. Mostly it was Joe not getting along with the other two. Joe didn't get along with Jeff, but Joe really didn't get along with Alan a lot. Right. So from what I read and from what I was looking into, the money that he gave Alan was to essentially just leave the the zoo and never come back and say, I'm paying you to leave and not work here anymore. Right. Um, and the fact that so who know? Like, I'm, I, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm the same way with with Joe as I'm with Carol. I am not surprised at all if Joe, um, actually paid him. It sounds like he did. I'm also not surprised if he did it, and that was the honest truth. There's a lot of reports too about um, from different interviews um, afterwards about and some stuff on video that you can look into and look up about about Joe just not being good to his employees at all and firing people on the spot just to kind of show the yeah, power yeah, that he, he absolutely he absolutely was a showman that's very true yeah and, and so it's it's difficult because the documentary does a job of you know they do paint everybody with morally gray characters but they still set joe up because he's kind of the face of everything so you you kind of empathize with him a a little bit more than you do with others and so so. i think they did a pretty good job of making him to be kind of a creep see that's interesting because they 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 say outright they talk about his his personality um fluctuation and his mm -hmm. willingness to like fire people on the spot just because the cameras were rolling right and how he would consistently say different things on different days and you know they they were interviewing a guy who was a producer for joe exotic tv um who they actually who actually had like a lot of clout in like cnn he's like an established reporter or whatever and, and brought a lot of money to this and helped to sort of facilitate a lot of the um entertainment aspects of joe's career um, and then like several times Joe like burns down buildings with, you know, incriminating evidence in him or it's suggested that he does. Yeah. Um, so I think they do a pretty good job of not really taking his side of, you know, portraying him as someone who is extremely unreliable, who is um, really prone to mood fluctuations. He's all over the place, um, hard to pin down and ultimately winds up sort of being the the victim of his own um his own issues does that make yes. sense no it does make sense and, I, and as i'm thinking about it you, you are it's it, it definitely is more of my own leaning of of wanting to pick a protagonist and not liking carol baskins very much right even though her like her cat sanctuary like it makes me want to not like her cat sanctuary but like when i looked into it 
it looks like that's probably the best one that there is around. Well, like, I well, I look. I think they did a good job of making us not like anybody. Yeah, that was the point. Was that like, yeah, this this. I think ultimately what I got from from the show was the awareness that like this should be illegal. Yeah, and, and they did a good job of showing that everybody who's involved in it is doing it for selfish reasons. Yeah, I, I thought that was that's a good, a really a good thing. I think to to come away with because that was really the same thing I was looking at too. It was just like yeah, this is we got to figure out a way to stop this. And and I understand as lawmakers that you can look at a big cat law and say that's not as important as passing something else. It's just which is true. Doesn't mean it's not important though, you know. And so I think <laughs> we need to look at this one too. And I think that's an important thing. I, I, I yeah, this is the fact that that there are supposed to be more animals, big cats held in captivity in the U.S. than there are in the rest of the world, as far as, like, tigers go, mm-hmm. is mind-boggling to me. Yes. It, Something it, like 8,000, there are 8,000 cats in the U.S. captivity, and in, in the wilds, there's, like, four grand. 4,000, 3,500, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Which just shouldn't happen, you know? Yeah. Like, we just, we can't have that. Well, um, but I mean, it's not being regulated well, and that's part of no, something that Carol is fighting for, and that's something that she's trying to get done, but it's obviously not having a lot of success with is the the issue that, like, this is not a regulated field. Yeah. Right? And, and I it, think that was another reason that they produced this show was because they want they want people to, like, be aware of this and start looking into it a bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they said they have um, the... Uh, producers and the directors say they have enough they have enough footage that they didn't show uh, that they may be able to roll together a season two on this which <laughs> i'm interested in, in looking at especially because it's ongoing too yeah um a few things that um i wanted to touch on real quick too about um we've already touched on a lot of these already but you talked about rob i think his name is rob um, I think it's Markham, but the, the journalist who worked for CNN, he was a reporter who traveled around the world mm-hmm. and I did some looking into, into him a little bit too. So apparently about six months after the fire in the studio on Joe's lot, Mm-hmm. Which housed all of all of his materials, um, which also housed, by the way, those alligators that that it housed were um, alligators that they had gotten from uh, Neverland Ranch from Michael Jackson. Huh. Um, those he he was living in Dallas at the time. Six months later, his apartment burned down with him inside of it, and nobody knows what happened to that one either. Still unsolved. So there are thoughts that Joe hired somebody to also have Rob's apartment burned down in Dallas as well. Yeah, no surprise there. Which no surprise um, there. And yeah, and this is this is this was a thing that that the burning down of the the footage came on the heels of Joe's um, awareness legally that he didn't own mm-hmm. any of the rights to any of the stuff that was going on, and so he was basically going to be strong armed out of his own production. Because he he wanted to have creative control and the producer had the rights and the creative control. And then mysteriously, like within the week of Joe finding this out, yeah. that entire warehouse burns down. <laughs> yeah. So and, and th- they don't talk about it. Yeah. It, there's definitely some questionable stuff happening. Yeah. They don't talk about it in the in the show, but it um, or maybe they do. And I have forgotten, but they talk about backups and him not having the backups. They the talk backups, about it in the show. Do they? Yeah. 
Yeah, how they were the backups were inside in the safe, and it was hot enough to the safe burn down as well. Yeah, which doesn't usually happen. Yeah, um, it's probably Tarantine, but um, yeah, that's we've actually covered a lot of what I what I wanted to talk about too. Um, pretty much all the questions that I had for you about it. Yeah. That, I mean, this, what it's, what's so fun about it too, is that like so much of it is at this point, like undecided, right? Like there's a lot of information that's presented and mm-hmm. there's a lot that's really sort of shades of gray and they, there's a lot that's still unclear about all of this. And so basically what they're just saying is look at, look at this mess. Right. What do you think about this? And it's a, it's a good, um, springboard for conversation because there is a lot that's just absolutely um un- unsolved so far and there's a lot of it that's just hilarious man it's really it's wild it's wild you can, i can't i i don't have words normally i'm pretty good at like trying to encompass what i think about a, an experience or a, yeah. a show or a movie and i was speechless the whole experience is surreal you got it. You got to check it out. It re- yeah, it really is difficult to explain the journey you go through finding out and pulling back all these pieces of information mm-hmm. and, and, and the way they, they, they unveil it to you and, and just things that get laid on top of each other. You think it's just a, oh, it's just about kind of animals. And then it's no, it's about somebody murdering. Then it's like, oh, no, there's cults involved. And now there's somebody disappearing down. Like, it's just everything that gets thrown on top of it. It is really, really fascinating. Um and and really just kind of probably scratching the surface of what a lot of a lot of the way that world kind of exists in the big cat or the exotic animal life mm-hmm. you know like we only get to see what the producers wanted us to show and see for this time um they they do specifically talk about trying to shoot all of the cages similarly and and they thought they did a good job of showing the ex- exploitation of them, but that 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 situations were probably far more worse than what was actually on screen. A lot of yeah. the times with cages, you could just tell, man, those I felt so bad for the animals. You could see when they were trying to feed them first episode within the first like 10 minutes, you have like seven, eight tigers inside of this cage that are all just running around because they see a piece of uh, cow like leg walk past them. Mm hmm. And just like the hunger you could see in their eye. I don't know. It just felt you felt for them. Like you really empathized with with them a lot there. And, and On I purpose. Like, yeah. Because a, a tiger, a, an adult tiger in the wild needs something like, what did they say? 500 acres minimum? Mm-hmm. Five square miles? So. Something like that? It's it's an enormous amount of space. And they've got like eight tigers in like a, like a 50, 100 foot square cage. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. It's just these. Any uh, any final lasting impressions you want to leave with folks? I think the awareness that that this is happening, that this is real life, that this is going on, and that that like it, whether or not you like the show, awareness is really the most effective tool we have to combat the mistreatment of exotic animals. So like understanding that this is real and that this is happening and that there, this is happening in a lot of other places around the United States that they don't show like, you know, they, they hone in on like three major one, one sanctuary and two zoos, but 
there are like dozens and dozens of other zoos and exotic animal refuges that are being operated for profit in the United States that aren't well regulated. And these animals are, you know, basically living in squalor and it sucks. So knowing that while it is fun and it is a ridiculously crazy experience and, you know, it's like, it's like, um, what's it like? It's like, uh, cops rolled into like MTV rolled into, um, real world. Like it's unbelievably entertaining, but that this entertainment exists for a purpose. Um, so I, I, I loved it. I will, I will probably go back and watch it again at some point because I think there's a lot to unpack in it. And I think I've just got, you know, the, the initial impressions still. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm watching it right now. I think I will be going back through it again just to kind of pick pieces that I've missed, missed a Mm -hmm. lot of my, my, my main takeaway and hope for all of this um, really is that, that we can, understand that this is a really fun piece of media and it's really enjoyed and i i very much loved watching all of it but i hope i hope we won't get lost in the entertainment value of it and lose out on on really the fact that like these these tigers and lions and and exotic animals are are being treated mispoor like they're being treated poorly um in places where they shouldn't be And, and I'm glad things like this exist in a way that makes me want to watch it. Like, you know, like it sucks that it's wrapped around a story that that's this crazy kind of, but like, I'm hoping that, that people get to push through and, and this does something a little bit more towards progressing. Hopefully that passing a big, a big law and a bill that, 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 uh, makes it illegal to do to privately, privately, privately own these, mm-hmm. these animals. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and and I'm just really glad that if this is what brings that about, I that this is the form like that I get like I get to see this, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, well, it's absolutely true, you know. In every like major animal documentary that comes out, you know, especially the ones narrated by um, Sir David Attenborough, but there's always like one last episode dedicated mm-hmm. to conservation, yeah. right? And it's inevitable. And I usually skip the last episode of every documentary series I watch because I don't, I don't need an hour of someone trying to tell me that climate change needs to be fixed by me when it exists at like 70% of the world's carbon emissions are being produced by like six major global companies. Right. So it's like, okay, that it's awesome that I recycle, but by not having children, I'm reducing my carbon footprint by more than a lifetime of an individual recycling ever could. Mm-hmm. Right. So stuff like that, just the awareness that that's a thing. And we could have another documentary begging us not to. And instead we got this monstrosity, this beautiful, yeah. beautiful monstrosity. I'm in, I'm in awe. I am head over heels. It's fabulous. It's sort of like this, watching this show is like watching the person at a holiday get together who doesn't have control over their alcohol consumption. And and so you have to watch, you get to watch all these people trying to react and control a situation that they have no control over. (laughs) Yeah. It's just a beautiful mess. It really is. It's a beautiful monstrosity. I really like the way, the way you put it there. And there is just, there is so much to the story that we didn't even begin to kind of touch on. What we talked about was so high level there's so many intricate, unique little details like about Travis, which is incredibly sad. And I don't want to get too much into that. 
Um, but just everything, like go go do yourself a favor and watch. Like give it a chance, and if, if you don't want to watch it, at least read about it and take some time. Just to, you know, there's some pretty good write ups about it of just kind of explaining kind of what happened and going through things, and those are really interesting as well. It's it's worth checking out. Absolutely. Yeah, this 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 series is going to have ripples in our culture in in ways that I can't even foresee yet. You know, yeah. in terms of exotic animal care, in terms of the docudrama sort of representation of information, like I think I think this is this is like an industry. This is a game changer. This is a pivot for a lot of the presentation of information in this day and age that I think a lot of people are going to latch onto. I think this is the beginning of a new wave of the representation of information. I certainly hope so. I think this falls into the category of one of the things that I think people just eat up. Um, A few different uh, people love watching or listening to seemingly ordinary folks do extraordinary things and have extraordinary tales Mm -hmm. the same way they like seeing celebrities do normal everyday things Mm -hmm. (laughs) like they like seeing things like in the opposite of what they think. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where this lies for me is just they do a great job at the very beginning of just saying you, you can't you can't you can't like this is a perfect picture of real life being more interesting and fascinating than something you could think of and imagine. Yep. And it just surprises you after every turn. Yeah. It's you awesome. couldn't write this. No, absolutely. Go give it a shot. Try it out. I, th- I think, think, think you may like it, man. Thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah. I had to get absolutely. it out. I needed to talk to you about somebody. And, and I, and we actually went through, I had, I had a list of like five or six different questions and we actually went through all of them without having to go through any sort of special question section. I'm very happy with that. And we've only like scratched the surface. Oh too. yeah. Like right. this is, there is so much there. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not, we are, we are not the podcast format, I think, or the people to, to break this down and talk about it, but you should, there are podcasts out there that really do deep dives, six, seven episodes into this. Go take mm-hmm. a listen to that. If you want to look into it. Um, we just wanted to touch on it today because it just meant so much to both of us watching through it. And, and we just couldn't just, we had to say something about it. You know, <laughs> you, you have to talk about things sometimes. And this is one of those, but, um, um, all right, everyone stay safe out there. Anything, uh, you would like to wrap up with and add to the very end, Max, are you, you all set? No, I'm all set. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Stay safe. Don't drive each other too crazy. And look forward to seeing you again next week. Absolutely. Email us, uh, podcast at infinitepulp.com. And um, today's a special episode, so we're not doing any sort of Twitter or Instagram stuff. You guys have a good night. I uh, will see you next week. Infinity continues. Sweet.